Amen. I don't want to confuse you this morning, but I do want to say some things. And you'll understand what I'm saying in a minute. But uh, we're talking about from clean to pure. You know, I'm seeing this seriously, seriously begin to pick up momentum. In every arena that I go to, I'm beginning to see this accountability, transparency, cleanliness, the purity. I'm beginning to see its power. You could say amen there. (laughs) And, you know, last week I was away speaking at a men's, uh, we'll call it retreat. It wasn't a conference, it was was a, a retreat. Now these guys are traditional. So they got wood down the back, the stiff, right? They're not like you all smiling at me and giving me a bit of feedback. You get nothing. You can be preaching and going strong and you just look at you like that. Like some of you once did. And I did. Right? And still do, yeah. And it's amazing. So I'm just thinking, I cannot be deterred by what I don't see. I can only be moved by what I believe. So I'm, and, and I know I've got the word. I know what I'm going to do. So I'm thinking I'm going to talk about purity in manhood, in the context of manhood. And how it relates to man, men. So we had from 18 years of age up to, I would say, 70 years of age. So there was a cross-section of men in that room. Some were hoping to become men, some were men. And uh, it was amazing because when you're addressing a a traditional group of people, their comment to me was, we want to to change from being a traditional church into a more freer church. And I thought, don't kill them right now. (laughs) They don't know what they're asking for, but there's a desire for something more. So work with the desire that's in the heart. Don't scare him on the journey. Don't kill him on the first hit. So the first day, uh, first uh, session, I'm going, I'm thinking, I'm getting nothing back here. Just look like wooden Indians, all of them. Like rabbits in headlights. And the second session, I do the same thing. So when it comes to the third session at the night time, the worship was, let's just say it's mission praise. And now we'll sing number 32. And then you have a chinka chinka chink. Number 64, dinka chinka chink. And that's well, hey, that's called breakthrough worship where they come from. <laughs> and I said to him when I gets up to preach, I thought, you know, Lord, I don't feel you need, I need to preach. And I've had this quite a few times now. They bring you in to preach, but then you don't feel you need to preach. So I don't feel obliged that I have to do anything. So I just said to him, I said, if we, uh, thank you for the worship. Uh, can you move your chairs? Because the Holy Ghost is going to move now. So they all put the chairs back and thought, oh, no. My friend who invited me in knows what's, he doesn't fully know, but he's got an idea. And he's thinking, oh, anything can happen right now. And he did. <laughs> the Holy Ghost started to move and flow. And, you know, when, how you steer an atmosphere when it's dead is you prophesying it. Because you have to inject life. Preaching, if they're not set up for preaching, it does, you're just hitting a wall. So if you can carry a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a prophetic word and drop that into the environment and, and other people think, how does he know that about him? Then you've got the retention. And then you can start speaking. Because now they think, he knows something that nobody else knows. So he must know something that we don't know. So we keep on doing that. And I just, I just began to talk about this purity. And after the whole weekend, we're having dinner. We're ready to go. 
And I could see this lad, and he'd been resisting through the week, uh, through the weekend. And my friend Graham was talking to him, and he's just having a general uh, conversation. And he sits there, and he, he says, "How are you doing at university?" And this lad's a bright lad, and he's a, in, and he's a, he's a lad what's been on fire for God. Set many Christian unions up in in the unis, and <clears throat> he just starts talking to him, and then he just cries like a baby. He'd resisted all weekend, and then just cries. Well, you know, 23, 22-year-olds don't want to cry in front of men, do they? Right? And he's crying. And as he's crying, he's screaming, I can't see, I'm blind. I can't see, I'm blind. In other words, whatever I do, I can't see my way. Whatever I do. So, in a traditional church, they say, let's stand and pray for our brother. Right? That's the language they use. So, some will do a runner, because they don't like that kind of emotional thing. And others will stand over and they'll pray from a distance like that, Lord. Touch him, Lord. Touch him. So I didn't pray for him. I left him. I was stood right at the side. But I didn't pray for him. And the Lord gave me a word for him. So I took him to one side. Now, I won't tell you what, what was going on. But the Lord began to... I, spoke, I said to him, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? And he looked at me and went, no, I think I'm all right. So then the Lord gave me something else and that I'll hold that back and when the Lord gave me that his face went how the hell did you know I didn't know the Holy Holy Ghost gave it me and the Holy Ghost hit him at that level and he was exposed once he was exposed he didn't fight it he was grateful and he went from clean to pure so then I said to him I believe that you need to go and talk to one of your elders, which was, there was, the pastor wasn't there that weekend. The pastor was away somewhere else. But the elders were there. So I says to him, you need to go upstairs right now, confess this, and bring it into the light, and confess it to, to your, one of your elders. He went, what, right now? I said, right now. He said, I'm going to uh, Scotland, because that's what he was studying at St. Andrews. I said, You're going, you don't need to go anywhere yet, fella. You need to go straight upstairs and confess this to your elder. Bring it into the light right now. He said, well, I'm back in two months. So you haven't got two months. You've got two minutes. He went, okay. And he went straight upstairs, confessed it. He left that building skipping like a deer. Why? Because he went from clean to pure. He became accountable and he became transparent. If that can happen in one, just by laying hands and God just speaking one word, I tell you, that's beautiful. Now, you know, when I walked out of that building... They all thought I was something I wasn't. Or they all thought I'm something I'm not. I'm just a man, like many of you, who can hear God and can be a vessel that God can use. God can use anyone. But it surely has now given us another door to go back into that church. These are the doors that God said he would open for us. A traditional church that was never opened its door to me. And yet, I was the last choice they told me openly, you were the last choice. We tried everyone. In other words, they told me that. They told me to my face. You was the last one. We tried all these, 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 and they couldn't do it. The saying is like, you know, we need to have this. We booked this meeting. We've got no one to speak. I, know, I don't want to go with him. I know what he's like. He's going to cause us trouble. All right, he's the only one available. Ring him up. And he said, I couldn't believe it when you said yes straight away. <laughs> I said, I was the one that you needed. And then one of the elders gets up, and this is what he said. Church, you need to understand this, what God's doing in our midst. He says, I don't, he'd been praying in the church 
for this transition to come, but they don't know how to do it. He'd had six ladies praying individually, right? Now, I'm preaching about everything he's asked those ladies to pray about, right? Everything. I'm hitting all the bells. All the lights are flashing. Hello, hello. They can't run. And he says to me, all weekend I've been stood at the back and you have just been battering me silly. He said, I've, he said, I've been wrestling in my spirit about so many things with God. He said, you've just clarified everything. I said, that's what happens when you bring the prophetic in. That's what happens. So he says to, the, he says to these ladies, can you pray? And then he, he rings one of the ladies. He said, dear, dear, dear spiritual lady. I ring this dear, dear spiritual lady up and I says to her, I would like to run a Bible study for ladies. And this is what she said. Are you ready for it? What the hell do we need another Bible study for? We don't even like the ones we've got. <laughs> right? This was a spiritual lady. And she is a spiritual lady. However, this is what she said. Are you ready for this? She says, what, we've been, or what I've been praying for is that God would give us men who can lead us into the spirit. Not like you lot. She said, you need to cross over and make a transition. And he apologized to her. Because what she said, and how she said it to him, was absolutely what God had been speaking to him about. So on that Sunday morning, after we as communion, he gets up and he confesses to the church. And he says to the church, I have no idea how to lead you into this realm. So I then stands up. I said, yes, you do. Why? I says, I'm here. I said, God sent me this weekend to help you come to this point for this season. I said, because our lives have done that. I said, you don't have to look. You don't have to be frustrated. All you have to do is the man you're looking for is right here. He can help you. That's God. That's God. That's what God's going to do with us. He's going to bring us to pe- in front of people. This is the very thing we've been declaring. This is the very thing we've been declaring. That this year, that we would come into a realm where... God would, last year we sent some of our guys out, Phil went out uh, with Kevin and Andy and then they took the youth out to uh, a church which was more traditional than the traditional one I just talked to you about. So there's some tough work out there but I know God's going to help us to go in and help churches that are struggling. This, This is why we have to train you so that we can put five over there, six over here, two over there. Why? Because the church in, in Manchester is struggling. And I believe God's given us a base that we'll be able to train, raise, send out. And you're those, you, listen, don't look, don't look outside, look at this. Everything that God's sending is in here right now. That's why we train the young people, the young kids to see in the spirit. Why? Because one day they're going to be released out there. And why can't we send our young, why can't we send our children's workers with some of our kids and impart them into another church and show them how you can possibly raise kids and take them in the spirit. We can do it. You just need to believe it. If you believe it, you can be God's resource. You can be God's arrow. God's arrow. Do you believe that? So yesterday, sorry, Friday and uh, yesterday, all the Isaac, well, not all, but many of the Isaac pastors came to Manchester for the first time. They came and assembled to pray about the prophetic word that God spoke to our nation. Now, I wanted to do that 2013, but I had flu and I lost a month. But this year, I decided we'll do it. So they all came up. Now, there's, there's, we're pastors, you know, they're just like everybody else. They have conflict, they have jealousy, they have suspicion. They have inferiority. 
They're all there. But we were able to bring them together yes, uh, Friday and yesterday. I spent uh, quite a lot of time with them yesterday. And I tell you, God is bringing us superbly to a, a unique point. Again, where the, God's using our church. God's using our church. I don't want God to give me a ministry and ignore you. Whatever God gives me is ours. So when I bring those pastors, I bring our elders. Because if you get me, you get our team. If you get our team, you get our church. Amen. I will bring all our resources to the front line. When you call me, you get the family. We all go together. Amen. So we can't leave you. I don't want to come. No, your family member, you're coming. Why? If you're a partner in this house, you come. If you are a visitor, you stay. But if you're a partner, you come to the front lines of the battlefield. So then well, you have to let us train you. So you become an arrow in the father's quiver. Amen. So, but it's not what we, you know, it's not just what we know. It's what we believe. The more we believe what God's t- uh, speaking to us, the more we begin to rise. Even on Friday. I don't, I'm sure you wrote it down, but I know I was just tickled with what he was saying when Peter began to prophesy over us. Some of the stuff, what, what they began to prophesy over us as a house was in line with what others have prophesied. And yet God brings another prophetic word to us that God's now going to bring us before the seats of kings, before people, the legislators in our city. God's going to use this church to do that. They don't know anything about what we've been praying about, but they've already got what they know, what or should he knew in the spirit, what God had been speaking to us. Your days are numbered. In a good way. In a good way. You can't just, well, you can. You can sit in here and just watch and listen, or you can be part of it. You can be part of it. But I tell you, God's got our number. God's going to make a demand on us. And he is making a demand on us. So in Psalm 32, verse 3. What I saw this weekend was transparency and openness amongst the brothers of Isaac. It was amazing. Now, don't forget, pastors have the same problems as you. They're no different. Why? Because they carry a heart. The heart can get offended. It can get wounded. It can get messed up just like your heart. I mean, we're, not, we're not special. We're people just like you. The only difference is God's called us to lead. You're called to serve and follow. We're called to lead, but we're all the same. We're all flesh and blood. Amen. And he says this in Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Anybody ever experienced that? You kept silent and your bones began to waste. And through your groaning and your moaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. The word of the Lord that has come to me for agents of change for the beginning of the, the first session is the hand of the Lord must come upon us. This is the word that Lord spoke to me last year for this year. That the hand of the Lord is upon us and must come upon us. Because when the hand of the Lord comes upon your life, you begin to wrestle inside. You begin to struggle because you don't know what it is at first and you begin to fight. And God's, his hand's coming on strong upon you. Why? Because he wants to bring some things to an end so that new things can begin. 
And if God's hand does not come upon your life, then you're always free to do what you want and when you want and how you want. And God does not want that kind of life for you. That's why he saved you. Free means you're free to choose. Free to partner with him. But your will must come to an end. So that his will can come alive within you. And his hand must come upon you. So that happens. But you and I feel very uncomfortable when that begins to take place. Because God begins to push you and steer you into a certain corner. So we can have a face to face with you. God loves and God created FaceTime. It wasn't Apple. Some of you think, what's FaceTime? Doesn't matter. Where you can talk face to face with God and see him. This is the God that's on our case. Everywhere we go, God keeps saying the same thing. And it's like God saying to us, Tony, just in case you didn't, you don't know, or just in case you're gonna, you know, you've gone a little bit senile, I'm gonna keep telling you what you already know. Just so that eventually you'll believe it and you'll press all, you'll press into it. So that when you conclude what he's telling you, then you begin to believe it and then you begin to pursue it with conviction. Amen. God's merciful to us. He doesn't just tell us once. He keeps telling us. He's merciful to us. Like normal parents, sometimes we say, I'm not telling you it again. I'm not telling you again. How many times do I need to tell you? Is that, is that a familiar tone you're used to? <laughs> Me too. Are you stupid or something? What's wrong with you? Can't you listen? Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mum. Next time, action. But God's merciful to us. And the word of the Lord came again to Israel. And the word of the Lord came again to Israel. But there'll come a time when that word stops coming. And we don't want to be that generation. We don't want to be that generation. So when I kept silent, my bones began to waste. There's something happens when you keep silent and you don't respond. When you don't respond to God, you begin to suffer internally. Your spirit, your flesh, your mind, everything begin, begins to go into torment and turmoil because God's on you, on your case, and you will not respond because there's a part of you that does not want to let go, give in, and make that journey. It's called the flesh. So you begin to waste, you begin to groan, you begin to moan. All because you kept silent, days and nights go by. And you know, you have a consciousness that God is on your case. You know it, true? If we're all honest, we're all resisting God in some area. Right now, we're all resisting God in some area and we're all conscious of the fact. We've not submitted. Or am I the only one? Uh. So that's good, that's good. Accountability, honesty, transparency. Yes, Pastor, you're the one struggling. We're all right. And then he says, then the moment of release comes, then I acknowledged. Then I acknowledged. Then he begins to bring the end of the struggle, the beginning of the end for David. It's the end of the beginning, or is it the beginning of the end? I'm not quite sure. But he begins to bring this turmoil in his life to an end you did not and i did not cover up my iniquity it was transparent it began to be totally transparent i not acknowledged my sin to you and i did not cover up my iniquity in other words lord you're on my case i feel your hands upon me you're talking to me i cannot live like this anymore lord i surrender 
Take it, Lord. Here I am. Stand, I stand before you naked. You see it all, Lord. That's the kind of transparency that God wants in our relationship with him. Amen? Not like Adam. Adam went running, hid himself, covered himself. Who told you? Who told you? You know, you were naked. His shame came upon him. He was aware that what he'd done. And God's trying to put his hand upon us so that he can forgive our guilt. Forgive our sin. Forgive our emotional mess. Forgive our uh, frustrations. So, if I said two words to you, conscious and conscience, you've all heard those words, yes? To be conscious means to have, having knowledge and then and having an inner awareness. So we're conscious, we have a knowledge and an inner awareness of something or someone, a feeling for a deliberate action. So a conscience that I might feel angry towards a person. I'm conscious I may have a particular liking for something that I shouldn't have a liking for. I'm conscious of it. Anybody there? Okay. Cream cakes. I'm conscious that I should not be eating any more cakes. It's an inner feeling that says, eat me. Eat me. Don't pass by. Salivate. Go and buy so you can celebrate. You're aware of it. It's an inner feeling. It may be something you walk into a room and you're conscious and you have an inner feeling that somebody is not on... Is not liking you. Or they're not liking what you're saying. Are you aware of that? And so then, there is a conscience. And this means a person's moral sense. Yes? Of what's right and what's wrong. Or an action. Which will then guide them to a particular behavior. So a conscious and a conscience. Though they are standalone items. They overlap. They overlap in the believer's life. Or in anybody's life. True? They overlap. So in this scripture here, we see a conscious and a conscience working together. I'm conscious that I have a conscience. Does that make sense? I'm conscious that I have a conscience about certain things. Which then begins to govern my behavior in certain ways. If I'm conscious of it. I can then, I'm aware of it, so I can either make a different choice if I'm conscious of it. True? So when we deal with transparency and accountability and openness, I'm going from clean to pure, we must, be, we must have a conscious conscience. A conscious conscience. Yeah? It might get a little bit tongue twisted in a minute, so just stick with me. Conscious, you're aware. Conscience is a moral on the inside. So the, though the standalone items, they overlap. And you need a conscience, a conscious conscience in your life. You must be aware that God's hand is upon your life. You can, God cannot take you by surprise. Unless you backslid and he meets with you in a certain place to get your attention. Then you're conscious of his presence. Yes, God will arrest you and pursue you so that you become conscious of his presence. When Jacob was in uh, Genesis 28, surely God was in this place and I was not aware. He was not conscious. He had no conscience. 
He was not conscious about his conscience with regards to his brother and his father. He had no awareness what he was doing was wrong. He had no awareness that he cheated his father and lied to his father. At that particular moment. He, but when the presence of God overshadowed him, he brought him to a conscious state. Surely God's in this place and I never knew. But now I know he's there. So now I'll go and make an altar. And I'll be back here, Lord. Because now you've made me. Now don't forget, this is the son who's got a father and a grandfather who's a patriarch. But now God's making himself. He's putting his hand upon Jacob because out of Jacob's going to come Israel. But Jacob doesn't know. He's not conscious of his destiny. So God has to pursue him with his hand so that Jacob, he wakes Jacob up and shows him in the spirit heaven. So it arrests him in the inside. Every part of you, God has to arrest so that you become conscious, excuse me, consciously conscious. Are you okay so far? Yeah. It gets worse. So that you can become consciously conscious that God is on your side and God is on your case. Now, you see, when the Bible talks about trials, what's the first thing you don't become? You don't become conscious that God, a trial is going to do you good. True? He says, consider it pure joy. So there's that working out salvation. We need to consider it. Consider something. We consider it pure joy when I suffer and face trials of many kinds. Why? Because they produce something for good in you. But you're 98% of Christians when they come for counseling are never conscious of the fact that a trial is good for them. They think that God doesn't love them. They think that God's rejected them. Because you have a trial. But our Bible tells us they consider them pure joy. But it don't feel like it, does it? God, if you love me, take it away. No, 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 son. It's because I love you. I'm leaving it there. Father, if there's any other way. No, son, there isn't. Nevertheless. See, we don't put a nevertheless, do we? Nevertheless. It's a good word to have on your, dic- on your fridge. Nevertheless, what that is, that brings me to a conscious point. Nevertheless, I've acknowledged this, but now I'm going to make a different choice. I don't care. Nevertheless, think of it. So here we are. I can be conscious about me having a conscious. Yeah, I can be conscious about I am aware that I've got a conscious. So I'm consciously conscious. Yeah, when I'm not aware of, of, of my conscience, I'm un- there's a sense of unconscience. That's not the word, is it? But it is now. I've got the microphone. It's a word. Unconscious of my conscience. <laughs> Told you it's getting, it's getting hard. We'll laugh about it. You'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll laugh our way through this. <laughs> but in Psalm 32, 3, he says, when I kept silent. Now, what we don't know is, was David ever consciously conscious of his sin? Or did it take the prophet to speak, to bring him to a place of where he was consciously conscious? The Holy Spirit is our conscience. He's the one who brings light and truth into our hearts. So when you're unconsciously conscious, 
He now, through his truth, through his word, makes you, brings truth to you, so you're now consciously conscious of what's wrong in your life. That's the work of the Holy Ghost right there. He exposes, he convicts, he brings into the light so that you become conscious of what's in your father's heart. And his thoughts are towards you. But unless you can stay in the spirit, you'll never know what God's thoughts are towards you. You're not conscious of them. That's why we must remain in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Remain in the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. Why? So we become consciously conscious about everything that's in our father's heart. Does that make sense? Doing well. Then acknowledged to you my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions. So he's he's now got a moral sense that I need to confess my sin. He's alive. He don't feel good about it. Now he's consciously conscious that he has to get it out and get rid of it. Why? Because his bones have been wasting away. We call it another phrase. Get the monkey off your back. To get the monkey off your back, you have to be consciously conscious and then be brave enough to do it. Because even though you're aware of it, it doesn't mean to say that you'll do anything with it. Many of us know our sins. But being brave enough to bring it to an end is another matter. And that's where the transparency and accountability takes place. This young lad last week... I'll call him Jeffrey for the sake of, for it. I don't want his name to go out. Jeffrey last week was consciously conscious of his sin. He'd hid it. And his bones had wasted away. And now he's blind. And I, I, God was able to show me that he was blind spiritually because he'd opened up the door to a thought. A thought came to an action, and uh, so a desire. A desire led to an action. An action led to a sin. A sin led to a consequence. A consequence now was what he was struggling with. He could not see now because his sin was blinding him. Now when he saw that, he pulled it all into the light. Went upstairs, confessed it, asked his uh, elder to pray over him. Because when you bring it into the light and you confess it, boom. So he was willing to do something about what he was conscious about. Does that make sense? So in Romans 3 verse 19 it says, Now we know... That whatever the law says, it says it to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law was meant to show them their sin. But it Many of them did not understand. They just thought that if I make an offering, we'll get away with it. Why? Because everything was external. But what what do we talk about now? In the New Testament, we now live by the law of the Spirit. Not the law that was once on the ground. Now the battle goes on the inside. Now we need to be consciously aware on the inside of our lives... This is, the, this is the point about externalism. Externalism, one word, sums up rituals, uh, traditions, 
and forms and ceremonies. That one word, externalism, describes that. Basically, everything is on the outside. Right? You light candles. You bow at the altar. The pastor says, oh, the, the vicar says something. We all respond back. Nothing's changed. You know, all we've done is battered a few words to and fro. The congregation respond. He says something. It's externalism. Christ was kept on the outside. But the moment the Lord of the Spirit begins to move, he awakens the conscience of the unbeliever and the sinner and the backslider. So now why we have to change the dimensions. We still fulfill the law. Yes? All the law was fulfilled in Christ. But we don't live by that law. We live by the law of the Spirit. Amen? Because the law of the Spirit brings us life and it brings us awareness of how we need to walk. How we need to keep in state. It's a life. It's a walk. It's not a ceremony. Externalism could never take you to the throne. Externalism could never take you beyond the veil. Externalism could never, never let you know that your sins have been cleansed. And now you have free access. You are, and externalism will never tell you that you are a priest. And a king. It will always keep you away. Why? Because they want the power. But Christ says we come into a new and living relationship. We can go all the way. But we need to be conscious of what, how far we can go. Amen? So, we don't, our righteousness does not come by the law. But there was a righteousness that could, that, you know, could be ob- obtained through faith. Our righteousness is obtained through faith. He could never give them in the law. You understand this? But in Romans 9 verse 1, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. Beautiful. In Christ. I am not lying. Listen. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Wow. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And then he goes on to say other things. But notice what he said. His conscience was right what came from Christ. There he says, I speak the truth in Christ. So he's got this new conscience based on truth. Amen? It's the truth that wakens your conscience all the time. That's why you must keep getting greater, greater revelations and dimensions of truth. Because your conscience gets more and more aware. Just one look sometimes you give someone. When, you walk, when your conscience is fully aware, just the way you spoke to someone, where once upon a time you, you had no conscience about it, now the Holy Ghost says, put that right. The more you walk in the light and want fellowship with your father, the more your conscience has to become cleaner, 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 clearer, clearer, clearer. So you can be clear but not clean. I can be clear about what I need to do. But my heart may be filled with so many things that prevents me from doing what I need to do. And I'm clear about. Does that, is that clear? We're doing well here. I didn't know I was going to get this out. I said to Phil, I don't know we're going to get this out. Now let me give you a tongue twister. You ready for a tongue twister? Now some of you may have already come across this in your various training uh, of certain things. But I came across this before and I thought, oh, this will knock him. 
This will knock him. I just laughed when I read it. I thought, oh, this will be fun. You ready for this? He who knows not. He who knows not. Are you the he? Or the she? He who knows not. And knows not. That he knows not. Is a fool. Yeah? Let me say that again. He who not. She who knows not. He who knows not. And knows not. That he knows not. Is a fool. Too many knots in there for me. Think about it. If he doesn't know. That he don't know that he don't know. He don't know. (laughs) So. (laughs) I love this. So. That makes him unconsciously incompetent. That's the end result. It makes him unconsciously incompetent. I've met people like that. I've been that person. There's some areas that I don't know that I don't know. And I don't know that I don't know. So I can only ever become unconsciously incompetent. I'm unconscious about my stupidity. That's that's the worst kind of person you can find on planet Earth. The one who's thick and doesn't know the thick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah? There's a lot of unconscious people in the church. Yeah. There's a lot of unconscious. That's why he says, wake up, O sleeper. Arise. Yeah? The, the, uh, The action that should be taken towards the person who's unconsciously incompetent is shun him. I've nothing to do with them, basically. Because whatever you say, they're not, they're not aware of. They don't need it. Lights, the lights are not even on. We don't even know if they're at home. The next one, can I give you another one? Oh, it gets funny. So we've just said he knows not, and knows not that he knows not, is a fool. Okay. He who knows not, and knows that he knows not, is ignorant. And you know the action you take for that? Teach him. Teach him. Now he's conscious of his incompetence. There's a lot of things I don't know. I'm aware of it. So when I go to Malaysia, I go not knowing something. So when I come back, I know some stuff. And now I know that I know it. But before I went there, I wasn't aware that I didn't know it. Does that make sense? So revelation comes, oh Lord, I didn't know that. Now you know. Once you're blind, now you can see. Now you know that you were blind. Does that bring some sanity to you? Okay, you've got past two, I'm amazed so far. Let's go for the third one, you ready? So we've gone from, he knows not and knows not that he knows not. And he's a fool. We've gone from, he knows not and knows that he knows not. He's ignorant, we can teach him. Here we go, third one. That one was conscious incompetent. This one is he knows and knows not that he knows. That person's asleep. Wake him. Wake him. So there's a different action. Each one of these is is describing an action that needs to be taken in the conscience. And these areas are in you and I. Sometimes you don't know that you don't know that you don't know. So when we're trying to teach you, you just say, I don't, I'm not interested. 
They can't be changed. Shun him. The Bible says sometimes, if they're not of the same stream and they won't listen, shun them. Trouble causes. All those kind of people. There are people we can shun. And then, we were unconsciously about their incompetence. Then some people are conscious, are conscious about their incompetence. I'm conscious of some of my incompetence. And you know what? You make me aware of my incompetence. Because you're conscious about my incompetence. True? Well, if our pastor should do this, our pastor should do Our pastor's not this. Let's get it all out in the open. You're right. Okay? Case dismissed. You're right about my incompetence in some areas. But at least I'm conscious about it. Unlike you. Some of us are not conscious. And when you sit down, you have to have a word with people. They won't bring it out into the light because they're unconscious of it. But you as a pastor can see that they don't know, that they don't know, that they don't know. Yeah? And other times we see that he knows not and knows that he knows not. He's just ignorant. So we can maybe try and help them. Then we know that he knows and knows not that he knows. They're just asleep. So you're asleep this morning. You listen thinking, there's too many no's in here. And I don't know what he knows. That makes you unconscious, competent. So you've got unconscious, incompetent, conscious, incompetent, unconscious, competent. The last one, you think, thank God for that. But he or she who knows and know that they know, he is a wise man. Follow him. That's the action. So he's consciously competent. Or as Papa would say, competent. <laughs> so there's some areas that you are ignorant in. Or some areas that you can be shunned in. And listen, I say all this is when the Holy Spirit starts awakening our conscience, these are the levels he goes to. There are some areas that the Lord cannot speak to you in. Because he has spoke to you. And because you've not obeyed him. He stopped speaking to you in that area. Hello. So what he does. He speaks to you in other areas. And then you think because he's not speaking to you in that area anymore. I'm off. I'm clean. Or the man who's caught in sin. Thinks because it's all working for me. God understands. So therefore, if God understands, he's given me a license to carry on. He's incompetent. He's conscious. Sometimes he's consciously competent. He's conscious about that. Other times he's unconscious about that. And the Holy Ghost has to come in. Sometimes he'll send a prophet and give you one last warning. Spoke to a lad last week. Phil and I know very, very well. And Andy. And he said to me, I said, he was part of our first original church, and he said this to me. He said, for 25 years, I backslid and went my own way. He said, I had, a conscious, I, was, I had a conscience about me being backslid. He said, but I kept telling myself, I'm not doing it. I, if I can't give 100%, I'm not going. So he's, so he's conscious about something, but he's, un, he's, he's unconscious about his morals are wrong. If I can't give 100%, then I can't go. No, no, you're still a sinner. You're still backslid. If you die tonight, can you count for where you're going? 
So he says, I'm on the way to do, he says to me, let me explain this to you. I'm on the way to do something that I shouldn't have been doing. He says, and I'm on the way, he said, and a traffic jam comes. He said, and I realized that God had set the traffic jam up to stop me doing what I was going to do. He was conscious of it. Right? He was conscious about his incompetence. And then, the day after, the Lord says to me, he said this, ready for this? The Lord came to me and said, We're going to, I'm going to speak to you one more time, and then after this, I will leave you alone and never come to you again. Wow. Wow. He went, that conversation had a way of arresting me. I came to my senses. Bang. Now, that's the Holy Ghost telling him that. I will speak to you one more time, and then I will leave you alone and never bother you again. Wow. That's fear. That brings a sense of fear into my life. Because if he's doing it to him, he'll do it to me. Because God's no respecter of persons. So here we are. He was conscious in some area. But when, when you resist the Holy Ghost time and time and time again in areas, he will move away from you in that area. He won't leave you. He'll leave you in that area. And he'll let, that can be the door that lets the enemy into your life. And all the praying won't change until you acknowledge it and repent. And like David, when I acknowledge my sin, then healing came. All that time, God was allowing disaster to come to David's life. Could God stopped it? I don't believe God could have stopped it because he has to work with your will. And even when he sent the prophet to confront David, he still had to make a choice. So when you're hearing this word coming out, God is speaking to you and I can appear as if I'm your enemy. But I'm not your enemy. God is speaking to me. The Holy Ghost is speaking to you. I'm just the vessel he's using. So I can appear like I'm your enemy. So then therefore you can use that as a justification for you not Obeying the voice of the, of the Holy Ghost. It's dead easy to do. We all do it. Two. So then there comes a point when the Holy Spirit will shun you in that area. Then there's, a, there's another level when the Holy Ghost will come and he knows that you don't know. And he knows that you're ignorant and he'll send a teacher across your path. That's why the Lord spoke to me many years ago. He said, Tony, you'll never have to look for your teachers. I'll always set them before you. Why? Because he knows I have a teachable spirit. He knows I have a teachable spirit. I listen to what the Holy Ghost says. I don't always obey him straight away, but I listen to him and acknowledge him. That's a good place to start. Amen. So he'll bring teachers. See, I'm, I'm, often, I'm often hearing, I'm coming across this thing more and more now. Churches that don't have pastors or churches are struggling. And we're praying and praying and praying and God's not sending anybody. Why? Why is God not sending anyone? Maybe the people are not teachable. God said, I will never leave you or abandon you. But he will allow some churches to close. Why? Because the people can always find another church somewhere else. But sometimes, if you're not teachable, why do we expect you to keep, why would we keep giving good food? Seriously, you've got to ask yourself this. So, God will send teachers. Then the next level, there are some areas that I'm asleep in. And God has to wake me. I'm not evil. I'm just 
asleep in certain areas. God has to speak to me so as to wake me. When God spoke to me about what, asking me what kind of man the city needs, God woke me. I wasn't, I wasn't ignorant. I wasn't sinful. I needed waking up and arresting in that area. Now my eyes are open. I'm awake. Now I can pursue him. Because I didn't see it, but now I've seen it, I'm awake. He's arrested my attention. So the Holy Spirit will bring, in part of this transparency and accountability, you have to be accountable so that that those processes can take place. And in every one of those processes, God will command and demand an element of transparency in your heart. Does this make sense? This is helping you? Good. So, when we know... But he who knows, and he knows that he knows, is a wise man. He's a wise man. God wants to bring your consciousness to a state that you know what you know. And you know that you know it. So let's come back to authentic sonship. Work out your salvation. What don't you know? What are you incompetent in? What are you ignorant in? What areas are you asleep in? Work it out. So that the consciousness of God can come alive much stronger and stronger and stronger. But you must consider so you can conclude. When you conclude, you, then you become convinced. And when you, when you convince, you become convicted. And then you pursue what you're convicted. You know, most of us who, who have found a partner, when we concluded, this could be the partner for me. When you, can, when you considered she could be the one, he could be the one. Once you felt that, ooh. Once you felt that, ooh, coming down your spine. You interpreted that feeling, this could be the one. True? Have you never had that feeling? That, ooh. You didn't go holy ghost. It was just like, she, hey, she's all right. I'll have a bit of that. Mancunian language. I'll have some of that. I'm, I'm having that. <laughs> what did you do? You concluded, you considered, you concluded. You became convinced. Then you became convicted. She's the one. And what did you do? You pursued. You pursued. You pursued the one that you captured your heart. If you go back into Song of Solomon, the first thing that the lover does, she goes looking. Sorry, the, yeah, the lover, she goes looking for her lover. She had him, she loses him, she had him, she loses him. This woman can't keep hold of a good man. She loses him, but her heart is there to pursue. She's convicted. She's convinced that he is the one that her heart loves. And she wants to take him back to her home so she can meet his mother, her mother, the place where she was born. She's convinced. She's convicted. Wow. So, Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody heard of those two dudes? Yeah? How many of you know that they were consciously conscious about what they were doing? Right, but they still did it anyway. Yeah, Acts 5, 1 says, Now a man named Ananias together with his wife. So they were together in the plot. But they acted individually. They sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept part of it back of the money for himself. So he was consciously conscious of what he was doing. Look, watch this, watch this. He brought the rest and put it at the, uh, the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Ghost and have kept for yourself 
some of the money you've received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your, uh, your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, as we read the rest of the story, we see that he, come, he, gets, he gets hit by the Holy Ghost, carries out, and then his wife comes in and, and same happens to her. There's a consequence there. But here's the issue. Though Ananias and Sapphira was consciously conscious, listen, of their own inward deceit, they were unconsciously conscious that they were exposed before the Holy Ghost. Wow. They were consciously conscious of what they were doing, but they were unconsciously conscious that they were exposed before the Holy Spirit. Wow. Sometimes we don't think God's watching. How many people in society do things that are aware they do it, but they don't think there's a consequence and no one's watching? They hope they don't get caught. Right. So they're consciously conscious about what they're doing, but they're unconsciously conscious that God is watching. They think that because no one in the office is watching, they're not seen. But there is a higher being who watches everything, who brings everything out. See? So we, so that's, now let me, let me throw another word that you're uh, familiar with, the word integrity. Integrity is doing what's right when no one's watching. Because somebody is watching. Do you get that? Oh, this is good. I thought this would be the most difficult. This is getting easy. (laughs) Integrity. When you know someone's not watching, do you do the right thing? Because you should be consciously conscious that your father in heaven is watching. Somebody on the ground might not have seen it. Might have been no cameras around to capture anything, but you know your father is watching. That's what causes us consciously to keep step with the Holy Spirit. That's what causes us to fear God. We are the healthy fear of God. That even though I could get away with it, I don't want to get away with it. Because you can get away with it, it's not an excuse to do it. We don't do it because we fear God, we honor man. If I, let me let me say this. I might be on my room on my own with Andrea. Right? He doesn't give me the right to do anything towards her. And even if she consented, it still doesn't give us the right. Why? Because just because he's not watching and Carol's not watching, we must have our moral, our own moral compass that says no eyes can look, no hands can touch. Right? But we also know that our heavenly Father's watching. So though we could do something, get away with it, that's not the point. I don't want to do it. Because I'm consciously conscious in that area. I, am, I have a righteousness and a cleanliness in that area. She's not mine. It doesn't give me the right. Well, no one will watch you, all right? No one will see. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not yours. Well, the keys were left in the car. It doesn't matter. It wasn't your car. True, isn't it? Well, there was an iPad on the desk. It had no owner. It's not yours, though, is it? Well, it was just, well, it was there. But yeah, of course it was there. Because someone left it there. And, and this is the moral conscience that people have. They're not aware. They're unconsciously conscious that they don't have a conscience. 
What's wrong with it? Everything. So when you take money back, people go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I have a conscience. Oh, you don't want one of them. It'll mess you up. Right. That's when we become dead to sin. We're dead. So we become alive to sin. When we say no, we come dead to sin. Almost got the wrong way around then. So surely you desire truth in my innermost parts, says Psalm 51 verse 6. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Now the inner parts and the inmost place must be part of your conscience. My inmost parts, I must feel everything. I must have a conscience in my hands. What my hands touch. I must have a conscience in my eyes. What my eyes focus on. I must have a conscience with my loins. Urge to merge is not a license. I must have a, I must have a conscience in my passion. How do I use my passion? Because one man's passion is another woman's abuse. True? I must have a conscience in where my feet take me. It must fill my, in my parts, in my innermost being. It must consume me. So my eyes, I must have a conscience in my tongue. I must have a conscience in my pocket. True? I must have a conscience with my strength. I must have a conscience with my body. Look after it. Don't lord it over people. Don't need a wife. That's a different kind of lording. That's chapter two. Holy Ghost. Come on, stay with me. Nearly there. So it must involve my head, my heart, my conscience, my memory, my will. Whereas the teaching of wisdom is so you know how to respond. The wisdom knows how to put all these things into play. The actions that need to be taken. That's wisdom. How to use my mind. How to use my hands. How to use my voice. You know, when I'm strong and I'm in that traditional, I can't beat them over the head. I've still got to find the wisdom of how to reach the heart. It's the heart we're after, not the head. So you just, you just sending signals out all the time until eventually you see someone, then you move towards that person. That's how you move in the spirit. And one per, and the rest see how God moves with that one person, gives them courage, or they back the heck out of the way. They get out of the way. But either way, you, you can never touch the whole crowd. You go for certain people. You're looking for strategic men. Don't prophesy over everybody. Just because you can, have a conscience that says I'll prophesy over the strategic ones in the room. Because that's where you get your maximum results. Longevity. Woo, Holy Ghost. Lastly, so when you have this conscience, you need, this conscience will show you the right time. It will show you the right people. It will show you with and in the right attitude and heart to use. Conscience must be there at the right time. We must have a sense of right time. 
We must have a sense of we're with the right people. I have a conscience that I'm with the right people this morning. It's making sense. I have a conscience that I need to uh, use and stand in a right heart and always obtain a right attitude towards you. Yeah, I have, a con- I have a conscience in that area. I have a conscience I'm in the right place. Not just with the right people, but I'm in the right place. Because the people can leave. But the place is important. I have a conscience that by doing all those things, the right results will come. I have that conscience in my heart. I carry that. Do you? John 1, 14, sorry, 1, John 1, 47. I'll just put this for reference because I want to finish on one last point. As we're finishing, Nathan, Nathaniel was unconsciously conscious. He was hiding there and Jesus saw him from afar. And Jesus had to tell him what was in his heart, but he was unconscious of what was in his heart. Sometimes that's when the prophetic voice has to come from the outside to make known to you so you can become conscious. Amen. God tells us those things so that you can know what he knows. Yeah, he tells us these things so that you can know what he knows. I was talking with a pastor yesterday. Listen to this. Talking about this consciously unconscious. He's telling me that his church... He's moaning about and berating the fact that his people, what happened was he's, he had problems with his building, sent his people to different churches of churches of friends that he knew. Right? So let's just say, use the illustration. Phil and David have got churches. So this building is in dire straits. They rented this building, didn't own it. So he says, right, I'm going to send half my people to David's church and I'm going to send half my people to Phil's church. Now, think of the ramifications here. People will go to their church and eventually they'll put their feet under the table and get used to it. That's, that's the reality. You can't fight that. That's just a fact. Some people actually think, actually, we're better off with this fellow than we was with you. You can't. Once you do that, that's, that's, that's what happened. So then he starts moaning the fact that some of those people, if I have a meeting and call a meeting, I've had no church for seven months. If I call a meeting, they don't come. I'm thinking, I wonder why. Seven months later, what do you expect? You need to become consciously aware that they're no longer your people. But he can't see this. So he's berating the fact that they don't come and some of them haven't been to church for seven months. Since we we closed it down, they haven't been to church for seven months. How long? Right. So they don't have a conscience about them going to the house of the Lord. But he has a conscience about it. Then the conversation goes on. And you know when some people hang themselves, don't they? Then he starts telling me. I asked him a question. I said, okay, so seven months have gone by. What are you doing for finance and things like that? I said, have you found a church? Oh, no, no, no. No, just kind of falling out of it. You know, no, 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 no. You know, I'm just drifting. So you're unconscious about your state of affairs. You moan about them for not going for seven months, but you haven't been to a church. But then you want to go and preach at other people's churches, and now you're using the church like it's a mistress. Think of this. You can be so consciously righteous in this area that you're so unconsciously incompetent in another area. 
and you can beat the drum because you're conscious about this area, it doesn't get God's attention. Why? Surely you desire truth in my inmost parts, in the inmost place. It has to fill everything, not just one part. That's why you can do something right but be in the wrong spirit. True? It's, it's very, very alarming, guys, to see how people behave when this conscience is not alive. We cannot just be alive in one area. We need to be alive in every area. Last scripture, I promise. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing, listen, the soul, the spirit, the joint, the marrow. Watch what it does. It judges the thoughts, attitudes of the heart. Listen, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. And laid before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. There's transparency right there. When the word comes, it exposes everything. So we've got to pray that in our conscience, oh God. Give me a conscience about, make me consciously conscious about everything that's wrong in my life. Then give me a willing spirit to sustain me. Grant me a willing spirit to do something about it. So I don't just live with me becoming conscious about it, but I feel uncomfortable about me being conscious about it. Does that make sense? If I feel uncomfortable about something, I'm conscious about it. I've got to do something with it. David says, when I kept silent, but then I acknowledged my sin. So now it became uncomfortable. He was conscious of it. Once he, he confessed it, it, the monkey was off his back. So let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. If nothing else this morning, I know you've had a nose, a lot of nose, and you don't nose. But now you know what you should know. And what you should know is that your conscience has to be alive in every area. You cannot become comfortable with your sin. You cannot become comfortable just the fact, well, I know. You don't have to tell me. I know. But what you're not doing, bozo, is something about what you know. And what you don't know, bozo, is how when you do what you know, how it affects everybody else. That's what you don't know. Anybody there? So now you know. Once you were blind, now you can see. See, I can tell him and speak bad to him. And Carol says, you know, you speak bad to him. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know. But then Carol says to me, but what you don't know is, it's going to destroy your life. He's going to walk away and have nothing to do with you again. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm even know nothing's going to change there. But when I realize and wake up, what stage am I on? Do I shun him? Is he going to shun me because I just don't know what I know? I'm stupid. Am I asleep in an area? Am I ignorant in an area? Do I need teaching in an area? 
the different stages of the conscience. All these areas have to come alive. So we're ignorant in nothing. We're teachable in everything. We can be woke up at any time, any, any moment, any place. Yeah, and we become worthy people to follow. That's what this is all about. We become light, salt and light in every area of our life. So let's just raise our hands if we will. Say, Holy Spirit, make me alive to Christ. Flood, invade, fill my conscience with your truth, with your word. Fill my bones, fill my heart, fill my sinews, fill my ligaments, fill my marrow and my joints with your truth. Expose everything, O oh God, so that nothing is uncovered, so that everything's in the light. As so I can walk in the light as you are in the light, so then I can enjoy fellowship with you and with one another. Holy Ghost, grant me a willing spirit. Grant me the courage. Grant me the tenacity to, to, to embark on this journey. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.